Well, good morning and welcome to Evanston Bible Fellowship. We are glad you are here. This is a bit of an unusual Sunday. If you don't know me, my name is John Bechtel. I'm the executive pastor here at EBF. And I said it's going to be unusual, and here's why. Because it's going to be a lot of my story, of my life, that's going to be shared. But I want you to hear that it's really not my story, my life, that we're going to be talking about. It's God's story. Um, particularly how God has worked and moved in and through my process of being adopted and, and what that has meant in my life. Because this is God's story, it started before I was even born. And so to start us off, I've asked my mom, Lois Bechtel, to come up. And I have a few questions I'd like to ask her to start us off this morning. Hi. <laughs> well, just to start us off, um, obviously you adopted me, um, and there was a process to get there. And so I'm just curious if you could share what was that process like of getting to the point of deciding to adopt, and uh, well, yeah, what did that look like? Well, as I've already said in the first service, <laughs> um, I reached 26 years of age, and I had pretty much everything a young woman my age would want. I had a wonderful education. I had the husband that I had been praying for and asking God for. He had the qualities and the virtues that I had prayed for for 10 years. And we lived in a lovely home, and we were active in ministry. Um, having grown up in a Christian home, uh, all of these things were, to me, gifts of God. So we were ready to begin our family and uh, soon realized that that wasn't as easy as uh, it usually is, let's put it that way. Um, many surgeries, tests, consultations, and more tests and more consultation uh, went on for three years and finally we realized that it wasn't going to happen, that we could not have children. And those of you, I'm sure there's people in this room who have been there or are there, know that this is a tremendously crushing time. It's really very painful. You go through all the stages of grief, and you become uh, very aware that everyone else, quote, unquote, is going, has what you don't have. And everywhere you go, you see the advertisements for diapers and for strollers and for all those things, and it's not for you. So it was a very hard time for me personally, but it drew me closer to the Lord, and it drew me closer to my husband and I closer to each other. Um, I had to come to, there was two things that stand out in that time. One is that there was a time, and I remember where I was and what I, uh, uh, I was at a, at a red light uh, on what street I remember in Nutley, New Jersey. I had to come to the place where I had to ask God to give me the ability or make me willing to be willing to accept his will for my life. Uh, I wasn't even to the place where I could just say I'm willing. I, need to, I needed help being willing. The second thing was later on in the middle of the night, like Hannah, I was begging, begging the Lord to give me a child. And I received from him the assurance. It was not a voice and it was not, it was just an assurance that he heard me and that he, he will, would answer my prayer. I didn't know when, I didn't know how, but I got that assurance from him. Um, so we decided to, after my 29th birthday, we decided to go um, look into adoption. One of my college sweetmates uh, was a director of an adoption agency in Newark, New Jersey, which was close to Nutley. So we decided to go with that agency uh, because of that connection. And you'll realize later on that that was very much a God thing. Well, all these years later, um, three children later, we, you adopted, adopted me and four months later got pregnant with Helen Joy. And we had, we had another, another daughter came along. Catherine Hope came, came along a few years later. Now God has given you 11 grandkids, five of whom are adopted. Mm -hmm. um, 
you love Jesus, you're following him, and you're a mom and you're Grammy. What has adoption meant, the idea of adoption meant to you in your life? Before, before we talk about that, I'd just like my daughter Helen Joy to stand up and be recognized. <laughs> the other daughter, Catherine Hope, is in Nashville. I'm sure she's listening in. Hi, Catherine. We love you and we miss you. So what does adoption mean to me? It gives me two perspectives, um, as you will see as when you are studying Romans 8, which is a really exciting chapter. It takes the perfect love and overwhelming sacrifice to become adopted into God's family. But Romans 8 talks about the fact that because of the tremendous sacrifice God made by sending his son to pay for our sins on the cross, uh, those of us who believe and receive this sacrifice are now adopted uh, include, and included children uh, of God, and he is our father. And it took an incalculably great sacrifice for Margie, John's biological mother, to make the decision to give her son up so that John could be adopted into our family and that we could have what we would, were not able to have uh, without that help. So that sacrifice, but also it takes tremendous sacrifice to continue being a parent, as those of you who have children know, and to daily give selflessly to those children and to make sure that they continue to walk in the way that they should. That's what adoption means to me. Thanks, Ma, for sharing some. Well, I stand before you as the adopted son who so many years ago was welcomed home. You know, growing up, I was raised by a mom and dad, and yes, that's a title you earn through years of hard work, sweat, tears, and probably a little bit of blood. I was raised by a mom and dad who lived a true and profound life of faith in front of me. Simply put, they loved Jesus, and they worked hard to show that love of Jesus to others. Now, it wasn't perfect. I wasn't perfect. But it was good. You see, I always knew I was adopted. My, my parents did a wonderful job of tying my earthly adoption back to the spiritual adoption we all have into God's family. See, adoption was never a stigma for us. It was understood of God as part of God's bigger plan for our lives. I was doubly chosen by God, you see, first to be a Bechtel, and second, to be a son of God through Jesus and his work. Now, growing up, I often wondered about my birth mother. You know, in fact, when I was in kindergarten, I realized that all my family had brown eyes and I had blue, and I'm old enough to remember a television show called Wonder Woman, and Linda Carter had blue eyes, so I theorized that Wonder Woman must have been my mom, and she was too busy saving the world with her lasso to, to do things, so she put me into a family to raise me. But I wondered who she was, and there were times when I wondered why did she give me up. And growing up in my teens, I became more and more aware of the love and the selflessness that it was uh, behind that act of giving me up. And it was at that time I thought more and more about contacting her. You see, I, I, had, a, I had a pretty good life. I felt I owed it to her to share what I had and what I had come to believe by watching my parents. So when I was in college, my mom, one of the wisest people I know, she challenged me. She said, you need to find out who your birth mother is. You need to reach out to her. So the summer before my junior year, I made a phone call to an agency in New Jersey. We were living in, I was raised in California. And I said, hey, I'm interested in meeting my birth mother. And they said, oh, it's a closed adoption. There would be lots of red tape, maybe five or ten years. We don't know. I said, well, I'm interested. Here's my name. Hung up the phone. Fast forward about eight months later, and this is a true confession. This is exactly what I was doing. I was sitting in my dorm room getting ready for college, uh, for, for spring football practice, and I was watching Bugs Bunny. That's what I was doing. And I got a phone call. And I don't remember all the things that were said, but 
all that stood out to me was, hello, my name is Margie Brandt. I believe I'm your birth mother. I picked myself up off the floor, literally. And then I heard her share her story with me. And instead of me trying to share that story poorly in a secondhand way, I've asked for her to come share her story, our story, with you today. So please welcome my birth mother, Margie Brandt, to the stage. Thanks. Thank you. It's definitely a pleasure to be here and definitely a pleasure to let you know that when John and I've had the privilege a few times of sharing our story together, and then I speak quite a few places, and when I share my story, uh, it's not a story about Margie Brandt. It's not a story about John Bechtel, about Sam or Lois Bechtel, or my husband Jack Brandt, even though every one of them are phenomenal people. But it's a story because it's meant for you in some way, some manner. For you see, God in Psalms tells us that he forms and creates every life that there is. And we know that. And therefore, that means that your life was created for a reason, for a purpose. You are not a mistake. There is something that God wants you to do. And this week, I came across a poem, and I thought, you know, I need to um, laminate it. And I want to share it with you this morning. It's called Just Think. You're not here by chance, but by God's choosing. His hand formed you and made you the person you are. He compares you to no one else. You are one of a kind. You lack nothing that his grace cannot give you. He has allowed you to be here at this time in history to fulfill his special purpose for this generation. And I believe that every one of you sitting here, there is a purpose, there is a reason for you to have been born, to be sitting in this place today. I do not believe that it's a mistake. And I believe that so often when I've talked to women and counseled women, because of life and because of the things in life that just drag us down and and the bondages and all this other stuff, that we don't see ourselves as a treasure, something priceless. To our Lord and Savior. And that is one thing that I want you to understand that you are. But there was a time many years ago when I didn't truly believe this for myself. You see, I was young. I lived my life for the excitement that I could find. And I felt that bad things would not happen to me. I was invincible. But one day, I heard the words that I never wanted to hear at that young stage of my life, and that was, you are pregnant. I was young, not married, and definitely not ready for a baby. I was frightened, scared, and certainly afraid to go to my parents and tell them that I had let them down, that I had disappointed them, and that I needed their help. To make a long story short, that conversation didn't go so well. Before I talked to my parents, I made the difficult decision to go to Washington, D.C. and to seek an abortion. But abortions were illegal back in the 1960s, and I knew that somehow I was going to have to finagle my birth certificate out of my parents. But as I sat there in the doctor's office, I knew that I had asked Jesus into my life when I was five years old, and I knew that I had been raised in a Christian family, not necessarily one that uh, was the right way to live uh, for the Lord. But I knew that the Holy Spirit was inside of me, but I wasn't certainly was not living my life the way that would please and honor our God. But the Holy Spirit somehow spoke to me in a quiet voice, and I knew that I could not have an abortion. I could not go through that. 
And after talking to the doctor, I walked out into the streets of D.C. knowing I would not go through this decision. And I had no one to talk to. But the Holy Spirit convicted me at a critical time in my life. I didn't need other people. I needed the Holy Spirit to so help me understand that. And what I do know today is that there have been over 172 billion abortions around the world. 172 billion abortions. Babies whose lives have been taken for one reason or another. And a sidebar because of this, what I just told you was, I believe this is why the Lord led me over 45 years later to go into the work that I currently do. I'm the executive director at a pregnancy choices clinic of a tri-cities, well, actually, it's five different cities uh, area. Oh, that I would have had such a clinic to be able to go and talk to someone to understand what my choices were, to understand that there is hope. But we didn't have those clinics at that time. But I am now, and I love it. Back to my story. I did go to my parents. And they said, well, obviously, you're going to have to get married. And, of course, I felt I had nothing else to do. And I said, all right. But as I pondered it over the next few days, I knew I could not marry this young man as he didn't love the Lord. He wasn't a Christian. And I did know the verse that said, do not be unequally yoked. And I knew that I needed to make a tougher decision. That was not to get married, as I felt it probably would end up in divorce. And I did not want to come back and hurt my parents again all over, five years or whatever later. And so I went back to my parents and I said, I don't see how I can do this and I'm choosing not to. Well, that went against everything that they thought and believed, and they literally kicked me out of the state of Virginia, literally drove me out and left me and told me not to contact anyone, my siblings, my friends, anyone. They did not want to explain the embarrassment that I was to our family. To say I went through lonely, tough times, that I went through guilt, bitterness, agony would definitely be just a small portion of the emotional turmoil that I found myself in. But I ended up finding a couple in uh, New Jersey who were little country bumpkins, Mr. and Mrs. Hadley. And as I, they had raised their four, uh, five children and felt that God had placed on their heart to open their home that was now empty of children to what they termed unwed mothers back in those days. And, and they opened their home to me, and I went and lived on this farm. And I found something in Mr. and Mrs. Hadley. They so loved each other, and they loved Jesus. And when Mr. Hadley would come home, I thought they were very old. They were in their 50s, so they're very old. Sorry, Jack. <laughs> They're younger than us. By the way, my husband, Jack, is the most godly, phenomenal man that I have in my life. And he is a huge reason why my life is so, um, I would say, why I'm so in love with Jesus. Because of his teaching and leading. And he's an associate pastor at, well, he has a different title, but a pastor at our, our church. But when I was living with the Hadleys, they would go to church. They loved Jesus. They sang with such enthusiasm. But they would come home, and they would love Jesus, and they would talk about him with such enthusiasm that I realized, wow, there's something different besides being called Christian to loving Jesus and being called a Christian. And I yearned for it. And I, I wanted it. I, I wanted to understand what this meant. It seemed a little silly to me at times, and yet I saw something in them that was phenomenal. And one night, as I was just agonizing over, I had no contact with anyone as 
we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have iPads, we didn't have computers, and we didn't have, we had a telephone on the wall, and when my parents kicked me out, literally made me get in the car, I had no telephone numbers or anything, so I had no one to call, no one to talk to. So I was alone and in, in despair. But one night, I just reached out on the nightstand because the Hadleys had placed the Bible there, and I picked it up, and I thumbed through it, not the way that you necessarily should be reading scripture or studying, but I didn't know a lot at that point, and I thumbed through it, and I came to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I was reading it, and I came to this verse, uh, chapter 10, I mean chapter 10, verse 13, that says, no temptation has overtaken you, such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear up under it. Now, I hadn't taken that opportunity and run from that temptation because I was pregnant. However, I took that verse and I said, God, I have made such a mess of my life. I have stopped everything that I had planned for my life, and I'm at a brick wall. I, I can't go forward. But God, I, I just surrender everything to you. I give it all to you. And I need you to help me and to do the miraculous in me. And God, I don't want to live my life for myself. I want to live it somehow for you. I don't know what that means. But would you do the impossible? And I can tell you that there was this peace and this presence of God that was in that room that was so gentle, so wonderful. And I was laying back on my pillow, just weeping and crying, just taking in the peace that I felt. And I looked down, and yes, I was still pregnant. For God not only forgives, but he doesn't always take the consequences away. And so I still had a consequence uh, that I needed to understand what it would mean in my life. And so after reading this verse, I knew that God had something. He, he had something for me. But I didn't know what it was. And I wanted to keep this baby as it was my baby. And I didn't want anyone else to have the right to say, you can't have it, especially my mother. But I knew that there was no way I was probably going to be able to keep this baby. I couldn't support this child on my own. I had nowhere to live. I'd already been kicked out. And I didn't know whether I'd ever be welcome back in my home. And so one night I found myself uh, at the hospital. Hmm, wonder why. Um, for I was to give birth. And... At the time that I was to give birth, I still had not made a decision as to what I was going to do. Am I going to keep the baby? Am I not going to keep the baby? I don't know where my notes are, but I don't need them. And I agonized. Had this little boy, precious little boy, that they let me keep for three days to bond with him. And during that time, I just prayed and agonized, God, what is it that I should do? My, my emotions, my heart, my physical being, are you keep this child? But I knew there's something better. So when the home came in and asked me about adoption, I asked them, would you be able to find a family? I don't want them called Christian. I want someone who loves Jesus unconditionally, who lives it in their life every day at home, at work, wherever they are. I don't want to place this baby into some home that doesn't love Jesus. And, of course, you heard um, Lois say that her roommate um, knew who she was, and she knew Sam and Lois. She knew their spiritual heritage, the spiritual heritage that John was taken into is something 
that only God can put all those pieces together. And so the night before I was to give him away, ah, this is the part I always have a hard time, almost 45 years later, but I unwrapped him, talked to him, and I told him that I was making the most difficult decision of my life. But I wanted him to have a better life than what I could provide. And I prayed the prayer like Hannah prayed over her Samuel when she gave Samuel back to the temple. I said, God, I'm, I'm giving you this little boy and I'm giving you to a family that you have picked out. And God, would you, would you teach him that I loved him, that I made the most selfless decision I could make to place my son in their arms. No, I didn't place him in their arms. It was a close adoption. I had to place him back in the cradle, and they took him. But before they took him, and I prayed over him, I called him my Samuel. Nobody knew that, but guess what his middle name is? Samuel. I called him my Samuel, and, and I told him, we will not see each other here on earth. This is a close adoption. So we'll never have the privilege of meeting one another. But I make you a promise. I will live my life in such a, a way that one day we will be together in heaven again. And I knew when I said that and prayed it that it was truth, it was actual and that God was taking this precious little boy and was going to do something with his life that would impact God's kingdom. And I prayed every year, many, many days, whenever the Holy Spirit would remind me, I prayed for his parents, that they would raise him to know and to love Jesus. And I prayed that they would try to help him to understand why, why, I had placed him in the arms of Sam and Lois. I told you I didn't place him, but I placed him in their home. And I can't say to you that I did not go through a difficult time. I'm watching my time. That I did not go through difficult times because emotionally and mentally, that is probably one of the hardest. Many of you have probably um, lost children, and you know what the tearing out from the inside of you, what that does to you. And some of you perhaps have even had abortions, but I want you to know that God so forgives and there is healing. And in our clinic, we even have a class called a, a PACE, a post-abortion um, uh, counseling education, where you, they go through and they deal with their guilt, their remorse, their sadness. Many men come in because they forced a girlfriend or even a wife They've gone through it all the way up to where some of them even have a memorial for their little baby and actually name their baby. And think about it. 172 billion little children running in heaven. Jesus has them. God can do the impossible. And I prayed that for this precious family. I didn't know much about them because they didn't have open, open adoptions and you couldn't uh, tell the birth mother who the adoptive family was. I just knew that they were very godly, that they had a spiritual uh, heritage, and that they loved Jesus. So I felt very confident, very confident in that. I'm going to try quickly to tell you the day that I got the phone call that my son was looking for me. Um, another long story, but I tried to call Sam and Lois because I wanted them to give me permission to call my son. But Lois, in her wisdom, John said one of the wisest women he knows, she chose not to be at the house that day. And then the second time I called, a young girl answered, and I didn't know yet that he had two wonderful sisters. And then the third time it was busy. And I said, God, I'm so impatient. Could I just call him, please? Could I just call him direct? And um, 
I'm not sure it was the Holy Spirit or what, but I did. I picked up the phone, called him, and this bouncy voice answered, and then I realized, <laughs> what do you say? What do you say to someone that you don't, you've never heard this voice? And I said, um, I think I might be your birth mother. And like he said, he fell to the floor. But, but I do have to tell you this, and I brought this bag up for a reason, because on my kitchen counter, um, Bugs Bunny sits on my kitchen counter, right by the coffee pot. So every morning when I come out and I look at my Keurig coffee pot, I see little Bugs Bunny and it reminds me to pray for John and Layla and Irene and Elizabeth and Emma and Evangeline, who are precious, precious family. So I took that reminder. And so, I gotta hurry here. And so John and I talked. He said, can I call you back? He called me back. He said the reason I hung up was I wanted to call the Wheaton football team and ask them to pray because that's calling my birth mother. And he said, I have two things. He said, one, I want to thank you for my life. I've had the most wonderful life. I have the most unbelievable mom and dad and sisters. Not always thinking they were wonderful, but he does, Helen and Catherine. <laughs> he grew up. <laughs> And he said, I love my family. I've been so blessed. He said, but more importantly, I have a question I want to ask you. He said, I want to know if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. How grateful I was that I could not only say, oh, yes, he is a personal friend, but my husband is a pastor at the church, and you have twin half-brothers who are 13 years old who we're going to have now. Let them know about their big brother. Long story short, two things I'm going to say, and I know I'm over my time because I have no minutes, seconds left. Fast forward a bunch. John came and lived with us for a few months, was an intern at the high school group. He impacted my, uh, one of our twin sons, Jeremy's life forever to the point that the night that our church had a farewell for John because there's this wonderful wonderful young lady that he had fallen in love with back in Wheaton that he wanted to come home to. My son left, but suddenly he was back at the very end. He ran to John, put his arms around him, and cried and said, because of you, I will follow Christ. There's a son I gave up for adoption who impacted me. And now he's impacting one of our twin sons. I want to read you quickly this one poem. It's very tattered and torn. I finally had it laminated. It wasn't going to last much longer in my wallet. John wrote this when he was 17. Mom, you know I love you, though I don't even know who you are. I know you're always with me. You're never very far. This last Sunday, we celebrated Mother's Day. My thankful thoughts of what you did just wouldn't go away. You were only a teen when you had me. You gave me up for good. You did the right thing, Mom. I'm so thankful that you did. Even though some said I was just a lump of flesh, not even human yet. You gave me a chance. You gave me life. I will always be in your debt. I thank you, Mom, for the inconvenience of having me. I'll make something of my life. Just you wait and see. I'll never forget what you did. I love you so much. I just can't wait to get in touch. I love you, Mom. That's what knowing, knowing Jesus Christ is all about. So thank you. So what do you do with that? I stand before you as the adopted son, as the Samuel who was sent away, and the Jonathan Samuel who was brought home. It's quite a story of God's redeeming love, His grace and His mercy, His faithfulness, His sovereign goodness. But see, I want this to do more than just warm our hearts this morning. I want us to meet God and I want us to be changed. You see, we've been given this story as a family. And we're, not, we're not owed this glimpse into life and what God is doing, but he's given it to us. The other thing we have in this story is we have the benefit of looking back. 
But what we just heard was two women who went through the real hard, real life, painful mess of life. There was waiting years, even decades. There was hurt. There was disease. There was uncertainty. There was regret. There was pain. There was fear. And yes, there was even sin. And as a pastor at this church, I look across this room and I know that there are struggles that you are facing right now that are right here in your life. I know some of you are impatiently waiting. Some of you are intensely anxious. Some of you are mindlessly numbing your lives out. Some of you feel hopelessly addicted. Some of you just feel stuck. Some of you are battling sickness and disease. For some, it's a fight every day just to find hope and to go on. And those are just the stories I know. We're in a struggle. We know life is a struggle. And last week we learned in Romans 7 that Jesus meets us in our struggle. And he brings forgiveness and he brings change. And today, we saw that lived out in a real life story. Through decades of struggle, God was there in the midst of all the uncertainty. And that's what I want to do today for us, is I want us to be able to face our struggles and have the strength to go on. I want us all to know that whatever we are facing, God is right there, meeting you at the point of your deepest struggle. He is there, working and active. So I want to say to you, don't give up. Don't give up. You have hope. Now to help us grab hold of this hope better than I can explain, I'd like us to look at the Apostle Paul. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. You know, it's the middle of this book, this letter to the Ephesians, and Paul takes a break from teaching all of a sudden, and he just starts praying. He starts praying for the Ephesians, that they would have spiritual strength, that they would have strength for the journey. And it's an amazing prayer. We also are going to catch a glimpse of the Father's heart that God has for us all. Check it out, Ephesians 3.14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. There's so much to unpack here. There's so much. But I just want to highlight one main point. You see, through the Father's initiation and through the work of Jesus on the cross, look back at verse 14. For this reason, what's that reason? The Father initiated and Jesus accomplished something on our behalf. Because of that, and I want you to hear this, every one of you sitting where you're at, I want to say directly to you that because of what God has done through Jesus, You are loved. I want that to sink in. I want you to grab hold of it. I want you to grasp it. I want you to hold on to it like it's a precious jewel because it is. And more than that, I want it to go from our heads and I want it to go to our hearts. I want you to feel the love of God that he has for you that the Bible says is beyond comprehension, that cannot be measured, that is limitless. You can experience that love. It's there for us through Jesus. Verse 19 says, it's a love that fills us with the fullness of the infinite God. That is the love that we can experience. It's a love that initiates, that moves towards us, that works for us even when we don't see it and when we don't know it. 
I want you to feel that today. I want you to grab hold of that truth, believe it, and never let go. Your Father loves you with a love that cannot be measured. But there's even better news. Through Jesus, your Heavenly Father loves you with a love that can't be broken. You see, Paul adds another dimension to God's love for us in the chapter we're going to study in two weeks, Romans 8. Look at Romans 8.38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you get that? Do you hear that? You see, through Jesus, our Father's love is so deep, it's unfathomable. But through Jesus, our Father's love is so strong that it is literally unbreakable. By anything in the created universe. That's how you are loved. Each and every one of you. And when we know this love, when we experience this love, and we are loved in this way, we cannot help but return real love back to the Father. And then out of that, we're able to love each other. And have hope for the journey. One of my best friends who I'm married to has a favorite blogger, an author. Her name is Ann Boskamp. And this last week, Layla was at a very spiritual place called Facebook. And she posted, she posted Ann Boskamp's uh, post that she had made. She shared it. And I think this idea really captures God's love giving us strength for the journey. And it says this. If your heart is wrecked with a love for Christ, your life is unwreckable because Christ's love is unstoppable. And it ends with Romans 8.39 in the message. Absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus has embraced us. You want strength for the journey? You want to be able to move through your struggles? Oh, that we would be wrecked by this type of love. That would engulf us and overtake us and change us. And when we're in that place, when we know that we are loved, we can move through our struggles, we can be unwreckable, knowing we are loved with a perfect, never-ending, never-leaving love from a perfect Father. You see, you have strength for the journey because through Jesus you are loved beyond measure with an unbreakable love. I want to say that again. I want you to hear that, folks. Through Jesus, you are loved beyond measure with an unbreakable love. But Paul just doesn't end there. He doesn't just end with how we're loved. He he ends this prayer by talking about who it is that loves us. Look at verses 20 and and 21. You see, Paul's asking God to give the Ephesians spiritual power And the same thing applies to us today. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, if you want to have power in the midst of the struggles, we need to look to the Father and the power that he has. Your Father made the universe. He measures the ocean in the palm of the hand. He created the universe. He created everything with a word. He's holding all things together, all things together right now. That is your Father. Think for a second. Just think with me. What is the greatest thing you can ask of God right now? What is the greatest thing? Think. He can do way more than that. In fact... He can do way more than we can possibly think to ask. That is your Father and the power that He has. And verse 20, that same power through Jesus is working in us. We can move through our struggles. We can have hope. We can have victory. Because of what Jesus has done. Your Father can do anything. And He loves you more than you can ever know. Through Jesus you are loved by a Father who can do anything. Hear that as well. 
You want strength for the journey. You want to move through your struggles. Live in the reality that you are loved. Be wrecked, like I've said, knowing your love with a perfect, never-ending, never-leaving love of a perfect Father who is in complete control and can do anything. Okay, nice story. Good thoughts, Paul. Let's bring it to your life. Every day in your life, God's power and His love are intersecting in ways that you may see and you may not see. He is working in the midst of the struggles, in the good times, in the joys, and in the pain. When you see it and when you don't, this all-loving and all-powerful God is right there carrying you through. Before we wrap this up, I want to make sure, and I would be wrong if I didn't make sure of this, that we're all on the same page with one important detail. You see, I've been talking about God as Father. And I've been talking about this love and this power that we can experience through Jesus. It's very important for us to understand how we can have access to the fatherhood and the power and the love of God. Because the Bible is very clear about that. In fact, the whole storyline of the Bible talks about that. Some Australians came up with a nice, succinct succinct way to to explain it, and they call it two ways to live. And the explanation goes something like this. You see, God is a loving ruler and a creator, and he made everything. And he created mankind, both men and women, to rule with him and to be in relationship with him. But from almost the very beginning, we see that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. And why? Because all people for all time have chosen to rebel against God. The Bible calls this rebellion sin. You see, now we all reject the ruler. We reject God and we try and run our own lives without him. But here's the thing. We fail to even rule our own lives, let alone the world. But God, in his love and in his initiation, he's not going to let people keep rebelling forever. He's a good God, and He's going to call people into account. And there's punishment for our rebellion, our sin. It's death and judgment. But God didn't stop there at death and judgment. No, because of His love for us that I've just talked about, He sent His Son, Jesus, the man Jesus. Jesus lived in this world he lived a perfect life. He lived, always lived under God's rule and he never sinned. He offered his life on the cross, taking the punishment that we all deserve. He took that upon himself. And see, by dying for our sins, what we deserve, he provided a way for us to find forgiveness and be restored to the Father. This new way is a gift of grace. That's the thing. It's just a gift that we simply need to receive in faith. Now God accepted Jesus' death as full payment for all of our sins. He accepted it. And He raised Him from the dead to prove that. Jesus conquered death and now He reigns in heaven. One day He will come to judge the world. So now it comes to us. We have two ways to live. We can continue to live our way, rejecting God's rule and not receiving this free gift that he's offering, just running life our way, which will result in us being condemned by God and facing death and judgment and dealing with real-life consequences in this earth. Or we can accept this free gift and live in God's new way. When we submit to Jesus' ruler, we rely on Jesus' death and his resurrection to save us from death and the judgment that we deserve. We're forgiven, and we're placed back in right relationship with our Father and each other. We have eternal life. If this second way describes your choice in your life, then the Bible says that God is your Father. It really does. In Romans 8, we'll be studying that in a couple weeks, it starts off in Romans 8, 1, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, those who have made a choice to follow him with their lives. And it goes on in uh, verse 15 of chapter 8 to say, 
For we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, to fall back into that old way of living. But you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba. That simply means Daddy, Father. It's clear when we choose to trust and follow Jesus, we are no longer condemned. We're given a new family, a new identity, and a new father. We are adopted. It's the most important choice that you will ever make. Whether Wherever you're at with this choice, I want you to know that God wants to relate to you. He wants to relate to you as Father. That's what He wants for your life. In about, about one month, we're going to be celebrating Easter. It's something that church has done from the very beginning. And why do we celebrate this? Because it points us to the cross. Remember I talked about God's love and power intersecting in our lives every day? Well, the cross is the place where God's love and power intersected the most powerfully and the most profoundly. God's love of providing a way for all of us who did not deserve it to be able to come to Him and His power to defeat death and to defeat hell were on display. If you made this choice to follow Jesus and live under His rule... I want you to come back to the cross today. Not for forgiveness or not to be adopted. That's already happened. But I want you to come back for strength, for the journey. Come back and remember that perfect love and re-experience that ultimate power that God has for you. If you've not made that choice, come home. Your Father is waiting for you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that through the cross we can experience this love and power. May that be true in our lives. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, my friends and my family, and everyone in this room, that we will not give up because we know that we are loved with a love beyond measure that we won't give up because we are loved by a Father who can do anything, and that we won't give up because of the cross. We can experience this love and know this power. May we run there today. Father, help us not to give up. Help us to find strength for this journey. Help us to rest in the Father's love and rely on His power. In Jesus' name, amen.